You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 40 of the Common Descent Podcast. Yeah, we're 40 now. We are. What a cool number to be at. Our topic for this episode is the land of Madagascar. Oh. Madagascar is a cool place. This is actually the second episode we've ever done on a part of the world. Yeah, location, which is... Yeah. Which is we did Antarctica neat. back mm-hmm. in episode 11. I, I, I like these because it's a, a different angle to come from, so it's cool when we get suggestions. It is. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why Madagascar is interesting today, because it is. Oh, yeah. Just oh, yeah. Geographically and biologically, a very, very cool place. There's a reason we have a random Madagascar area in my aquarium to, and <laughs> have lemurs. Because people all the time are like, why do you have lemurs? Why wouldn't you have lemurs? Yeah, what, what, do you not want lemurs? Yeah, what, what are you, some kind of lemur hater? Yeah. Do you not like to be happy? So then we will, after that, we'll, we'll do a tour through the history of Madagascar, the ancient history. And we will take a extended stopover on that tour in the late Cretaceous of Madagascar for two reasons. Number one, because that's one of the most famous fossil localities on the island. And also because that was the request that inspired this episode sent to us by Thomas on Twitter, who specifically asked for a discussion about late Cretaceous Madagascar we figured we might as well zoom out a little bit, talk about the island, but we will spend a good chunk of time discussing some very cool fossils from that time period. Yeah, so thanks, Tom. Cool suggestion. Thanks very much. Before we do that, a few announcements, just a couple today. First, we've uploaded a few things recently. Uh, We uploaded our But We Digress all about mermaids following our speculative evolution episode. Boy, was that fun to record. It was, and people have already really enjoyed it, so we're getting some cool responses. I'll do as many as you ask us to. (laughs) Yes. Also, our patrons, we put up some new patron. We got a a special audio for patrons Mm -hmm. uh, to celebrate some milestones we've recently hit. And we put up a poll that is allowing our patrons to help us decide where to take the podcast in the future how to spend the money that they're donating to us basically as we request your assistance in making this decision yeah so if you're a patron and you haven't seen that go head over to patreon and check it out if you are not a patron hey now's a good time (laughs) you get to have a say in what we do next make your voice heard yes you need to have a voice also another exciting new bit of audio that will be released by the time this episode comes out, most likely. Yes. We have made our first ever appearance on another podcast. Yeah, we get to be guests for the first time. Yeah, so we will be appearing on Science Sort Of with Ryan Haupt, who you will remember, if you've been following us, was part of our Sloths live stream discussion that we had earlier this year. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. It was. Talking with Ryan was super fun on the live stream, and it was super fun on the podcast. So head on over to sciencesortof.com or look up Science Sort Of on your favorite podcast source, and you can hear us talking to talking about ourselves for once. 
it, it was it was a lot of fun and it was uh very very easy going it was very natural to do so it was that was that was very cool indeed and we'll put a link to that uh in 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 all the normal places definitely the other announcement which we have been planning for a while and can officially release since the 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 official semi-official plan is out now yeah it is will and i as the common descent podcast so all of the common descent podcast the whole podcast crew oh man we'll be making our first public appearance this year in atlanta in early september at dragon con yeah we will Will is very excited about it. Oh, it's my it's one of, it's my two favorite things coming together. It makes me very happy. <laughs> so we're going to be on at the, we're both going to be on at least one panel. Yes. Talking about some sciency stuff and then we will probably be showing up uh, at some other stuff around the con uh, as we have details and a plan, we'll let you know as it gets closer. Yeah, we'll update as we are updated. But if you're going to be at Dragon Con, or if you are going to be in Atlanta around early September, just come on over and say hi to us. Yeah. It, it, super excited to do this. Also super excited to actually be out where people can be met and we can be met. Yes. Oh, that's going to be it, it, the idea of interacting with people yeah. as opposed to speaking into the void will, hey. be, will be quite nice. I, I met... I've met one listener in person when I went to Crockfest, uh, which was very oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Yep. Very nice. The person who requested this topic, Thomas, I've actually met in person, which is yeah. pretty cool. It's, it's neat. Indeed. Anyway, those are the announcements, which means it is time, as it always comes time, for news. Every episode, we pick some news from the news in paleontology and evolution and similar related cool things. Will... Start us mm -hmm. off. Very well. My first bit of news is a neat one. It is about a newly discovered early sauropodomorph, which is within the same group as sauropods, those giant long-necked dinosaurs that make us cry when their moms die. <laughs> this new specimen is interesting. It's early, which is cool. It's also big, which is kind of changing some of the views on how and when members of this overall group got big. And the biggest of the dinosaurs. Yes, biggest of the land creatures. So this research is done by Cecilia Apaldetti et al. And it's published in the Journal of Nature, Ecology, and Evolution. Uh, the article I'm reading from is from the New York Times by Nicholas St. Fleur. To get things started off, we'll intro the new specimen this sauropodomorph, which are you know very similar to the sauropods, but a little different, and yeah, the sauropods, the big long neck, long tail yes. dinosaurs. The sauropodomorphs are kind of the big group that includes their ancestors yep. and their close cousins. So this is this is within that group, just not quite yet. You know, the sauropods we recognize because it's a very early on. This is Triassic specimen from Argentina. Mm -hmm. and it is called Ingentia Prima, which means the first giant. Catchy name. Cool name. Yeah, yeah. it's a cool name. I always I always find names like this fun because I have a moment when I read them and I was like, it's going to be awkward when someone finds an older one. It's, hey, Ingentia, I'm sorry. Enjoy your rain while it lasts. <laughs> yep, yep. 
But <laughs> this, is, this is a large animal for the Triassic especially. Most dinosaurs during Triassic uh, were not all tiny, but they did not get huge. Um, the researchers were saying that, you know, on average, three tons is kind of the max for a lot of the dinosaurs you see during this time, which is heavy, but that's not even as big as your modern elephants in Africa. So, yeah, not massive. This dinosaur was about 33 feet long, estimated, and weighed between 7 and 10 tons. Which would be a large elephant. Which, yeah, it's a good-sized elephant. This is a big dinosaur. The reason this stands out is before this discovery, it was typically thought that sauropods and their cousins did not start getting big until the the Jurassic. Mm -hmm. So this is a little early to see something so large. The earliest giant, quote-unquote, before this moment was thought to be Volcanodon, which is a cool name again, which lived about 180 million years ago and was between 20 and 35 feet long, so roughly same-ish size. But this is now way before this. You know, Triassic runs from 200 to just over 230 million years ago. So we're stretching that date by back by quite a bit. And this means sauropods were getting, or sauropods and their cousins were getting big earlier than we thought yeah that they reached those sizes before the true sauropods arose outside of that main lineage that's very interesting uh that that changes what we thought it also grew differently than the true sauropods which is also important because if you're getting big it's important to know how you got big sauropods for the most part uh, a lot of the big ones grow consistently so they grow And so they are just going to continually grow from birth until they're large. And Gentia grew on a cyclical cycle, which basically means seasonal. It grew fast during one part of the year, slow during another part, which is how most reptiles grow today. During the warmer times, they grow well. During the colder times, they don't. Or during the wet season and the dry season, when things are good. So these repeated repeated growth spurts. Yes, so we saw that, or the researchers saw that in Ingenti when they examined the bone, which is interesting because it means you could still get big growing this way. And it changes kind of the way to look at things. Uh, Ingenti also didn't look like a sauropod, just so you all know. It it had a longer neck, but not a really long neck. And instead of having those big straight column legs, it was more bent they would have bent yeah. knees and elbows. Yeah, it was. it's part of that group that I think it used to be called the prosauropods, which are now sort of yeah, the greater yeah, yeah, yeah. sauropodomorphs. But I like mm-hmm. this not only because big things are cool and new dinosaurs are cool, but also <laughs> it's yet another branch of the dinosaur family tree that reached ridiculous sizes. Yeah. Like 10 tons is big for most dinosaurs, but... Many different lineages have done that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the the true sauropods, which multiple times have reached insanely large sizes. Yes, ri- ridiculous sizes. And it just this is something dinosaurs were really, really good at doing. And they did draw another connection in that uh, Ingentia did show signs of the efficient breathing that. Mm-hmm. sauropods are thought to have had with the air sacs and passageways in the uh, bones so 
there there's definitely similarities between that they're not it's not a completely an oddball for being big but yeah that's something that dinosaurs were good at and it's interesting that we at least have not yet seen that with land mammals you know as often or today absolutely that's really fun learning how dinosaurs got big is always exciting it is just need to go back with the camera yes we'll go we'll do a sound of thunder and we'll travel back (laughs) my first bit of news is about humans and and how humans arose so this is actually something we discussed in episode 18 this notion that there is a little bit of competing hypotheses for how our species came about whether we came about in one place or whether we came about in a wide region and recently a review paper a paper coming out sort of synthesizing a lot of data that we have argues that humans did not originate in one single population as has been suggested by some this is a study by eleanor scary et al in the journal Trends in Ecology and Evolution. And there's a great article that we'll link in the blog post by Ed Young at The Atlantic. So in episode 18, we did briefly sort of mention that there's this classic notion, and anytime you talk about a new species, there's this classic image of a single population gives rise to these new traits, and then you end up with this new species eventually. And for a long time, that's essentially how we have supposed homo sapiens arose but these authors argue for another idea that has been proposed before called multi-regionality and what they point out is that when you look at fossil information about ancient humans cultural information artifacts and such those seem to show that the various traits that we associate with humans with homo sapiens didn't all appear in one place that different features seem to show up at different places at different times very early on in the history of our species Mm -hmm. we have early humans in places like morocco south africa and ethiopia that show different parts of what it means to be homo sapiens in the past people have suggested these might be different species or different subspecies with different anatomical features and more specialized tools But what these authors are suggesting, uh, linking back to this idea of the multi-regionality hypothesis, is that you had this ancestral species, Homo heidelbergensis or whatever it would have been, that was already spread across Africa, and the different populations evolved different traits, and then as the climate of the continent shifted and the environments of the continent shifted over time, the different populations would reconnect and then be separated and then reconnect. So they were split off long enough to evolve new traits, develop new tools or some such, and then reconnected often enough to keep mixing the culture and mixing the genetic information so that all of the traits that it takes to be Homo sapiens gradually accumulated across these populations all across the continent. Interesting. And it appears, they suggest, that all of the Homo sapiens modern human features didn't come together until 100,000 years ago or later. Hmm. So for a long time, early Homo sapiens were sort of a hodgepodge 
in the making almost. It's hard not to hear this and you know, avoid picturing there being different groups of people and one having like hairless human legs and another group having <laughs> hairless human arms. <laughs> another group having human noses. Yeah, and, and, and one group with like, uh, I thought of it. Oh, and one group wearing glasses. Yes. <laughs> one group has a hammer. Another group has nails. Yep. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one group has peanut butter. One group has jelly. <laughs> it's chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> yep. So this, they're basically saying, look, all the evidence is pointing at this hypothesis over that other one. But they do point out that one of the hiccups in this hypothesis while all this other data synthesized seems to support this, genetic studies so far do not really offer a lot of support for this. In fact, a lot of genetic studies point to a single origin of Homo sapiens at younger dates than the fossil record suggests. Interesting. And these authors point out that this might be because either we don't have a lot of data or our models are looking for a single origin. So that's yes. why we keep finding one. Mm -hmm. But if we expand the model, and that's essentially what they're, they, they're hoping that this synthesis will do. They call it a call to arms, mm -hmm. right? See if we can start exploring a bit more, find more fossil evidence, because our fossil evidence of early humans only comes from limited space around the continent. And change maybe you know maybe use different genetic methods to test this particular hypothesis and see if we can find a way to address it with dna specifically very cool so it's a synthesis paper and 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 then essentially saying all right everybody prove this wrong yes like see what you can do they, here's all the data now argue let let's figure this out the gauntlet is set that that's very cool review papers are always interesting because they they put to use the you know almost pure data papers that can come out where it's it's just we measured we studied we and we analyzed and here are our results and you know they'll often make conclusions within that but the bulk of the paper is just this huge amount of data yep and so it's cool when you have a researchers who just take all these other papers and combine them to just see what that, you know, it's like overlaying maps. It's just seeing, okay, what new picture do we get when they're all looked at at the same time? It's also a very cool uh, solution to the origin of humans that they've suggested. That's a very interesting concept of uh, us being far enough apart to s slightly differentiate but never be completely speciated. Yes. And that's, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Uh, it's also the genetics and physical data not always wanting to agree is something that pops up fairly often where sure studying the bones, studying the genes can tell you two vastly different things. Yep, until uh, you figure out where the, the disconnect is mm -hmm. and line them back up. And it's, we're still, we're still trying to fully understand the the complete aspects of how DNA works and how it can be expressed. So there's a lot there to unravel. But that's that's I like that they acknowledged here is the issue. All right, everybody, figure it out. 
Yeah, let's let's That's let's cool. hold hands and move into the future of understanding yes. our past. It's I like this. It's a cool concept that they propose. In the, I like this paper just because this is a very nice representation of how science should always function. Yeah, like this is perfect example, and I love it. Very cool. Well, my next bit is about how fish mate, or at least how they originally developed claspers to be mating with, Ooh. or something very similar to them. This is a bit of study about a very well-preserved early jawless fish that shows signs of both claspers and pelvic bones, you know, paired pelvic limb type bones. Hmm. And it's more, it's earlier than was expected to find these things, which is cool. This research is being done by Marion Chevernay et al. And the article I'm reading very conveniently is by, from the conversation written by Marion Chevernay, but also John Long. Okay. And the two of them in this article describe, and they give a nice background, which I very much appreciated, that the reason this finding is so important and you know, surprising is that typically, as we discussed in our placoderms episode... Episode 29... That placoderms are the earliest vertebrates to show paired back limbs and the signs of clasper-like structures. And claspers, for anyone who does not remember the term or is not familiar with them, are nowadays mainly seen in sharks and rays, are mating structures. They're a paired mating structure that the shark or ray can use to dock to mate with the female and they're they clasp they can lock in and they can either use both or they can swing them out to the side to be able to mate from either edge depending on or either side depending on which fin they bit onto on the female mm -hmm. it's typically how it works with sharks placoderms seem to have had very similar clasper like structures and they're the first vertebrates we see with this kind of uh, anatomy as well as the paired back limbs, the pelvic fins, until the discovery of this specimen. Now, this is not a new species. Uh, this is Euphanerops, which is a Devonian jawless fish that's actually very well known. It's It was described long ago. It's been known for quite a while, but this specimen is ridiculously well-preserved to show more detail than had been seen before. This is a specimen found at the Megusa site in Quebec, Canada, and it is preserved in estuary sediments, very fine, you know, river and stream sediments that have preserved just about every element, they were saying. Very nice. It's You can see the picture of it when you go to the article that'll be linked, and it's really cool. When they took a closer look, they saw that it had hind limb structures now they're not identical they are called pelvic discs and so they're just these very small simple structures but they are where the back limbs would be and next to those very tiny look like two very clasper like elements interesting so it has claspers and leg quote yeah back <laughs> legs kind of yes. but, but bony but bony back fins 
Yes, absolutely. Ah. And so it has structures that until now had been mostly linked to placoderms. And one of the reasons this is kind of a big upset within the Clasper community is... <laughs> Clasper enthusiasts. <laughs> is that because placoderms were the first ones to show it and placoderms are the first, the, the jawed fish, the appearance of jaws and the appearance of claspers and back limbs had kind of been linked mm. and that had been the mentality and the thought of it for quite a long time this completely throws that out the window because so, this is a jawless fish so this is pre-jaw and if it if these structures are indeed little back legs a little back claspers then that's something that happened before jaws and is not not linked to them at least not wholly linked to them right right and there's another cool this is another cool connection that they found so this this fish the preservation really revealed a lot of cool things when looking at it they also noticed some differentiation in the backbone in the axial skeleton that there is there seems to be some separation between the the segments and that there is uh, a little bit of noticeable difference. Like thoracic, pelvic, yes. uh, caudal. Yeah, so like if you were to look at a human spine, and if, or more accurately, if you were to take a bone from someone's spine, ask first, but if you were, and you were to show it to a chiropractor or a person who works on the spine or you know a person who studies ape bones, mm -hmm. they would be able to tell you roughly where on the back it was. And yes. if they know it well enough, they'll probably be able to tell you what number it is. For human bones? Absolutely. Yeah. Because our spine changes as we go because the bones are having to do slightly different jobs. The lower backbones aren't holding ribs, but the upper ones are and blah, blah, blah. Well, that differentiation is not common among fish. It's very common among land animals, tetrapods. That's a very common feature in many animals. Not all, but many of them. But it's very rare in fish. The fact that this early jawless fish had it is kind of weird. And to look a little deeper into it, they close, took a closer look at the modern lamprey, one of the modern jawless fish, and saw that it even had very slight similar sections differentiations huh so there's something there and then they also refined the phylogenetics of this fish by using this specimen as you do this is i'm doing this as a side note but i'm it's a it's a probably a big deal for people doing taxonomy but it is part of the uh anas and anaspids i i have to make sure i say that and not anapsids because i yep. first read it and i'm like yep that's it's a not, turtle? That's not for... And then I finally was like, oh, the S. Yep. They, this fish had been placed within the anaspids, which very early, early jawless fish, common in the Silurian to the Devonian, you know, 427 to 400 million years is their range. And beforehand, they had there had been some debate on whether this was definitely within that group or not. And there had been debate on exactly how well formed this group was but their phylogenetics placed it firmly within this group and confirmed that it was a monophyletic meaning that it was not broken up between other lineages it was a true branch of the tree of life yes which is all, that's a that's a cool thing to be able to do 
this is a cool, it's cool to find, it's always fun when we find that certain features are more ancient than we realize they are. Yeah. In this case, not only the hind limb structures and the claspers, but that vertebrae differentiation, that sort of precursor to what you see in all land animal, land vertebrates nowadays. Yes. That goes back before Jaws showed up. Yeah, who saw that coming? That's really, really cool. And the the researchers make the point that they hope this will spark people to go back and take closer looks at the other specimens of this fish and similar fish that maybe we just weren't looking close enough because we were able to see it because this is a nice one. Maybe we can find it if we actually know what to look for. Yeah, when you said they, they went and looked at the lamprey, mm-hmm. that's a modern fish. Yes. That we hadn't noticed. And every now and then, it's it's super neat when a fossil makes yes. us look again at a living organism and realize we missed something. Yeah. That's a it's really, real really cool. cool side effect. I I really enjoyed this, this one just because it was like, we found this. We also found this. Also, we just did this while we were at it. You know, just <laughs> refined the phylogenetics. Yes, yes. Fish. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> Well, my last bit of news, our last bit of news for the episode, is one of the top three bits of news we have ever had on the podcast. <laughs> this this one is cool. Last episode, I made the comment that snakes rarely make the news. <laughs> and when they do, it's usually about them biting somebody or something, some nonsense. I actually, after you had made that, I saw a thing on Facebook that came up of like, person has close call with yep, cotton it, mouth. Always, every and week I was just like those. Come on. But fossil snakes almost never make the news. Dear listeners, let me tell you about one of the best fossil snakes ever. A baby snake preserved in Cretaceous amber. What? This is research put out by Lita Shing et al. in Science Advances. We're going to put up an article, uh, National Geographic, by John Pickrell. Lita Shing has been going around the amber markets and finding really exciting pieces of amber for several years now. So we talked about the tick in amber. I was about uh, to say, she showed up in the news before. Also the baby bird wings, the anantiornith mm-hmm. wings, the dinosaur tail with the feathers on it. That's all Shing and colleagues. <laughs> it's, it's all Lita. All um. Lita. This time, they have found a piece of amber with what appears to be the first ever definite fossilized baby snake. It's a cool sentence. In amber, you've got this whole run of the body. It's about two inches long. There are 97 vertebrae preserved along the length of this snake. It appears to have been brand new, like a newborn, either out of an egg or live birth, whichever one it did. It does not have a skull. (laughs) <laughs> which is unfortunate <laughs> that is not preserved in there because even even when it's in amber <laughs> all we get is vertebrae that's it it's the whole snake fossil record you can't give us anything else it's a conspiracy the the, the reptilian rulers <laughs> the snake, no. snakes don't have skulls they cannot have our skulls they <laughs> must not know our secrets never <laughs> However, they do have enough to have named it a brand new genus and species, Siaophis myanmarensis. Oh, good, cool name. 
It's just under 100 million years old, as all Burmese amber is. It's very exciting, not only because it is a really ancient, really wonderful snake specimen. It's also from a terrestrial environment, right? Amber is tree sap. This was a forested environment. Most of the good snake fossils from the Cretaceous are aquatic snakes, as we discussed in episode three. The other thing add on to this study is a separate piece of amber that has a piece of what appears to be snake skin preserved in it, which mm. may or may not be the same species. Uh, th that's very difficult to tell. But it's got this snake-like scale pattern, and it's got this light and dark banding structure. So we've got two specimens of snake and amber, which makes me very excited to have them look for more snakes and amber. Yeah. That is, is all I ever wanted. That is, that, what you said about it being terrestrial was my first thought when it was a snake and amber. It's like, well, amber is tree sap. Mm -hmm. So no guarantee this was an arboreal snake, but it was on land. And it sure be cool if it was an arboreal snake. Yeah, that I don't think they know. That can be very tough to tell. Yeah, there, it, I feel like that'd be very hard to, to pin down whether the snake lived on the ground or in the tree, but... That's what arboreal means for anyone. Yes, in trees. <laughs> yeah. There was a there was a there have been some studies done. I remember Michelle Lawing did a study at, presented at SVP one year, looking at geometric morphometrics, so comparing mm -hmm. the shape of snake vertebrae, and was able to at least partially differentiate aquatic versus terrestrial versus arboreal versus Ooh, all digging fossorial as well. Whoa. Okay. That's that's actually so. There's impressive. potential, but I don't know how much further that that research went. That's cool. I love yes. stuff like that. So maybe someday. They'd have to get the bones out, though, to do that. So I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just thinking, like, I I really look forward to when we can, like, because this is not to bash on our CT scanning abilities, uh, but I really look forward to when CT scanning will be either further automated or even higher resolution to where you don't even have to need to do that because we're not we're yeah, not quite don't even have to dig there anymore. yeah because we're not quite there because like ct i tried to use some of the bones for alligators when it came to ct scans and it's the resolution is just not quite there to do detailed analysis at least not on the machines that most people have access to i've seen yes. some really nice amber scans that not everybody gets to do a really nice scan it's, I'm looking for much. I was having a conversation with a person about it came to 3D printing. I look forward to when we can all just have our inkjet slash 3D printer in our <laughs> office because the technology has just come so far that it is mundane. Look, this, I look forward to the same thing with CT scanning to where it will just be a, all right, we'll go to the department CT scanner and we'll get it done. And yep, you'll just yep. be able to do that. And you have to fight for time on the 3D scanner. Yes. Like, Come on. Who we, left this on the scanner? We reserved a 3D scanner room. <laughs> Take it out into a field and destroy it. That's <laughs> when, it, when, it's, when it's an annoyance <laughs> is what yeah. I look forward to. Yes, exactly. Not when well, it's a miracle. What this miracle of technology won't respond to my commands. When you cost me 10 extra minutes. <laughs> this case, they actually used x-ray scans to confirm it, which may have been CT or probably, probably some kind of CT scan. Yeah, CT is like a, a catch-all term for a lot of different scanning. Like it, that's so that that's not a 
single term, and I don't know what all of them are. And one final note, just to give you a sense of what this, you'll see the picture in the, 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 the article, but when they got it from fossil dealers, the little baby snake was thought by the dealer to be a little centipede or millipede. It's so tiny. It's just a little tiny snake. <laughs> so cute. I'm amazed by how tiny baby, especially reptiles, baby animals can be. Yeah, they get super little. It's just like how your your leg is like a, a hair. <laughs> and that's why they don't fossilize. Yeah. And that's why it... even, even when you get fossils, there's no such thing as a snake on them wrong. Skull, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> a dinosaur sneezed and yep. from th- 30 feet away and the snake's little body just shuddered apart it's, it's that it's dinosaur had, it was like scanners yes yes <laughs> it's that dinosaur when we're talking about copper lights the, the urine fossil it's just it's just wiped you know, out <laughs> lots of little that's baby what I, look, I, you can give me dinosaur pee fossils but yep. you can't give me the skull nope. of the thanks Thanks, fossil record. It just isn't done, David. <laughs> it just isn't done. It's simply not done. <laughs> anyway, that's the news, which means it is time to head on over to the other side of the world from where we are Indeed. to a little place you may have heard of called Madagascar. Madagascar is an island in the Indian Ocean just off the east coast of Africa. You are probably rather familiar with Madagascar. I'm assuming everybody that's listening has at least heard of Madagascar and knows a little bit of what makes it famous. But here are a few things that make it very interesting. For one, before we get to the cool biological stuff, which is a lot, (laughs) Madagascar is very big. It is. For an island, it is just under 600,000 square kilometers or just under 230,000 square miles, which makes it the fourth largest island in the world. Yeah, it's it's large. Yes, and it's got a whole, it's got a, a couple hundred smaller islands surrounding mm-hmm. it. It's also got a, a cool shape. I always liked its shape because it looks like it's got little bump legs and a little face. Yes, like little, it was always a little pickle. It was it was <laughs> one of my favorite parts of when I was learning the parts of the globe. <laughs> like, yeah, Madagascar looks cool. <laughs> and partially because of its size, Madagascar also has a very wide range of environments on it. Mm-hmm. And that's for me. Whenever I picture Madagascar in my head, I think you know rainforest. Yep, tropical rainforest, Madagascar, sure. But that's not the case. Everywhere in Madagascar. It is tropical in some places. It's temperate in other places. It's dry and arid in yet Mm -hmm. other places. The ecosystems that exist there include rainforests. There are rainforests there. There are dry forests. There's also a Madagascar-specific kind of forest called (laughs) the spiny forests. Yeah. (laughs) Which are full of arid adapted plants arid meaning very dry mm-hmm. conditions only a kind of forest found only on madagascar 
what what all this means is that Madagascar is an ideal place to set video games. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like when you play a Pokemon game or another game where it's like, wasn't I just in the desert? Why is it snowing here? Yes. Because you're in Madagascar. <laughs> you're in Madagascar. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's forested environments. There's deserts. There are grasslands. C4 grasslands. Aha. Uh-huh. Which, as we all know, are grasses that use it method of photosynthesis that is more efficient <laughs> that, in dry environments that blow stuff up as we all add that blow stuff up big thanks to ally from episode 38 <laughs> for teaching us about grasses yes there we're, are we're using it <clears throat> we're yeah we're applying our knowledge madagascar has plateaus there are mountains uh, as high as 2800 meters there's volcanic activity on madagascar there are mangrove swamps there's coral reefs off the coast. There's tons of coastline because it's an island. This is a very diverse environmental place. There's a lot going on in this on this one island. Which is, is like, that's cool for a region in general. You know, like when California has vast differences between the, the northern portion and the southern portion, you get cool stuff, but condensed onto an island makes for some really interesting scenarios because now you can have as we discussed in island you know when we discussed islands yep episode four you, you now can have island specialization within all of those things which you don't usually get to have <laughs> yes which brings us to the biology of modern day madagascar oh boy so here's a vocabulary word for everybody endemism <laughs> an endemic species is a species that is only found in one place. There are tons of species endemic to Madagascar. In fact, between the plants and the animals, more than 90% of the species on Madagascar are endemic to Madagascar. Found there and nowhere else. It's why so many documentaries, when they go there, describe it as a, a prehistoric or alien feeling or all those all those terms to make it, to say it doesn't look like anywhere else because this stuff isn't anywhere else yes according to the wildlife the world wildlife foundation over the lab between 1999 and 2010 615 new species were discovered in madagascar because <laughs> madagascar is ridiculous oh man one of the reasons of course that it's so strange is that it is separate it's separated from africa by like 400 kilometers that's the closest, you know, major landmass to it. So all these species that are on here have had a very long time to develop. And as we'll see in a bit, Madagascar has been isolated for a very long time. Yeah, it's a stable island. And when you have a separated landmass, there are two ways to get groups of animals or plants or whatever onto that island, onto that landmass, either what's called vicariance, which means you were there from the beginning and you rode this landmass as it formed. <laughs> or dispersal. You you made your way somehow across an ocean. I just get a picture of animals arguing over that. <laughs> yes, we've my, been here since the Cretaceous. My ancestors rode Madagascar <laughs> to this. Yes. That's, that'd be like in India. Yep, my ancestors yep. rode India up here to Asia. Yep. <laughs> They were here when it collided. <laughs> so Madagascar, not only do you have species that have been isolated here and able to evolve separately, 
you also have limited access to this landmass. Not all groups of animals have been able to make it here. So for example, if we look at mammals, there are only, not counting what humans have since brought over, five <laughs> groups of mammals that have made it to Madagascar. Yeah. Rodents have made it because... Because we love to share. Because rodents... Well, no, rodents were there before <laughs> us even. Oh, they were? Yep. We did not okay. introduce... We introduced like pigs and stuff. Okay, okay. But rodents were I native. Take, I take back my, my shade. Tenrex have made it there. Tenrex are sort of rodent-like, but they're closer to things like shrews. Bats have made it there because bats... Yeah. Of course, because that's... No mammal disperses as nicely as bats. You nope. Just fly there. And then two others that I want to talk about just a little bit. One is a group called the Euplerids, which are carnivorans. Carnivorans are the group that includes dogs, cats, bears, weasels. But yeah. none of those have made it to Madagascar. <laughs> so the Euplerids have made it. And the Euplerids include such Madagascar species as Malagasy mongooses, which are not mongooses, Malagasy civets, which are not civets, and the fossa. Oh, the fossa. Fossa. Ooh. Do, do it again. <laughs> Fossas are really cool. So Euplerids are, I believe, somewhat related to uh, herpestids or viverids. So like true mongooses. I think meerkats are in that group. Fossas are the largest mammal carnivores on Madagascar. They grow to as much as 15 to 20 pounds. Which is it's, for, for an island. Not too bad. That's respectable. And as the dominant predators, they have become strongly convergent with cats. <laughs> yep. So they have a similar shape to cats. They're very good climbers. They have retractable claws. Yeah. Like cats. I've, I've read them described as similar to a small cougar. And that's, that is, they have very similar look to like a very small big cat. Yes, they're exactly. Just, their face is slightly off. Like, if you were to see one, you wouldn't question it until you looked closely at the face, and it's just a little long, a little different shaped. But the body looks real similar unless you know what to look for. Yes. And we talked about this in that island episode, that you get different groups rising to different niches. This is the dominant carnivore on Madagascar, a land where you have no dogs and no cats and no bears this is as as predatory as the mammals get. It's because uh, when you have a a especially a large ecosystem, every niche needs to be filled. So someone's got to do it, and it's just whoever fills it first is often the one that keeps it on islands, and it can be weird candidates sometimes. Yeah, and among mammals, this this is the only carnivorous group yeah. that made it there. The fifth group of mammals that are there natively, you know. For a long time, are <laughs> probably the most famous group of animals on Madagascar, which are the lemurs. Yay. Lemurs are a group of primates. They are not monkeys. They're outside the, the group that includes monkeys. Lemurs include things like the Indri and Ayais. They Zabumafu. Yep, exactly. Lemur, if you've seen the movie Madagascar. Those yep. are lemurs. The The primates in that movie are lemurs. Yep. These are the only primates that made it to Madagascar. So in a land without monkeys and without apes to compete with them, 
the lemurs have expanded to nearly 100 species, ranging from little things that are about 30 grams. It's ridiculous. Up to lemurs that weigh more than 20 pounds or so. They are only found on Madagascar. This is the group of primates that has taken over Madagascar. So you have a unique group of primates. You have a unique group of carnivores that dominate this landscape. It's really interesting to see how all of these niches have been filled by such a limited amount of animals. And you get some really weird answers to, you know, things that we're used to over here. The lemurs have filled the roles and it, it gets can get kind of creepy sometimes, but it's cool. It is. In the reptile side of things, the best side of things, the best side of things, Madagascar is home to two-thirds of the world's chameleons. Yeah, it is. It has been suggested in the past, actually, that chameleons may have started on Madagascar, but that has since been questioned, I believe. So I don't know that that's necessarily thought to be true. Interesting. But my goodness, if you want to study chameleons, you go to Madagascar. Mm -hmm. Everything from the little pygmy chameleons up to more, you know, larger more showy species, tons of them. There's lots of other lizards there. Snakes are a really interesting case in Madagascar because just like the mammals, only a few groups of snakes have been able to make it to the island. So you have mainly colubrids, which are most of your snakes. There are some colubrid snakes living there. You have boas and you have blind snakes. Cool. But that's pretty much it, which means there are no dangerously, which is dangerous to humans, venomous snakes on Madagascar. Yeah. Because there are no vipers. There are no alapids. <laughs> These are tropical rainforests you could walk through without having to worry about being killed by yeah. a snake bite. If a snake was in your shoe or under your tarp or wherever, you just let it go away and kick <laughs> it, out. it out of the boot. Yep, and that's it. Yeah, there are venomous snakes on Madagascar, but they're not venomous enough that people would really have to worry about them. At least not a, as far as I know. We have a cat-eyed snake at the aquarium, uh, and and they're one of the, the rear fangs, if mm -hmm. I remember right. Yeah, the, the fangs are toward the back, as opposed to the big ones in a, in a yep. rattlesnake. So they have to bite you and then sit there and go... And so it's not the not yep. the same threat level as the giant bared fangs that I can hit you with and then leave. <laughs> and a lot of snakes that are rear... There's a lot of rear fang snakes that are not powerfully venomous. Like dangerous if you're a, a shrew. But for people, it's no big deal. Well, it's, there's a lot of those that we didn't even know they were venomous until it like it was discovered by accident. That's how what happened with the hog nose and stuff. Mm -hmm. Where someone someone got bitten and went, oh, my thumb feels funny. It's <laughs> a little bit of venom in here. Yep. And but before that, we didn't know because it wasn't substantial. There is an exception. There are actually venomous snakes near Madagascar because there are sea snakes that live in the oceans around there. And if you're gonna have venomous snakes nearby, that's a that's a that's pretty a good cool choice. Yeah. yeah, that's a good choice. Sea that's snakes pretty... tend not to be too aggressive. Uh, and, but they're crazy venomous don't get bit by a sea snake but they got like really small things so i know they can't get through like most wetsuits it's it's very much like the box jellyfish where you can protect yourself with pantyhose yep cool stuff I, it's all neat speaking of aggressive reptiles there is mm -hmm. one species of crocodilian 
that lives today on Madagascar. Will, do you know what it is? Is it the Nile? It is the Nile croc. Yeah! <laughs> Nile crocs, which are about, almost the biggest crocs we have around in the world today. Yeah, they're, they're basically tied for the, the saltwater or estuarian crocs from Australia and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. They both get to about the same length. The saltwater, I think, gets heavier, but they're also notably fat for crocs. So yeah, that's a thing about them. Nile crocodiles are big. <laughs> yeah, they're like four or five meters. Yeah, they they croc. can they can get very close to twenty foot when they are when they are old, and that's big enough. Which means that they are the largest predators in Madagascar. <laughs> Nile as crocs it should are... be <laughs> as big as it gets in Madagascar. This is an island where everything is put right. <laughs> yes, I, all this sounds great to me so yes. far. We got lemurs. We got a. I cool, can play with all the snakes. Not a cat. All this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just go out. You pick them up. Ooh, another one. <laughs> There's a bunch of endemic tortoises on Madagascar. There's at least a hundred species of endemic birds. There's a ridiculous number of endemic frogs. Yeah, they've got a lot of amphibians. Yep. Absolutely. There are, I read, at least 100 species of endemic fish, including two endemic families What of fish. There might be endemic families of things like frogs, too. That wouldn't surprise me. But at least the fish. Yep. Wow. There are over 600 endemic snails. <laughs> Aw, that's cute. And some unholy number of insects and spiders. That are found only on Madagascar. This is this is one of the world's top centers of biodiversity. It's such an amazing, it's such an amazing field test. You know, a big island, diverse ecosystems, limited diversity of initial groups. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you take the you just take a few. It's basically like I used to have mental dreams where it's like. If I could create planets and I could just pick out the most interesting animals to me on the on Earth today and put them there, how would they balance things? And that's basically what happened here. And yeah. that's really cool. Well, you get something called the founder effect, mm-hmm. where what you eventually get is limited by what you started with. If you only get a handful of creatures with a, hand, with a specific set of genetic diversity, that's what you're working from. Yeah, and that will limit what you can get in the future. Yeah, if you so don't, all the primates with... are lemurs because that's yep. what you started with was a lemur. If you don't start with a snake who, who, a group that is known for potent venom, you may not get potent venom. Yep, it's not in the card, so it's likely that you won't go down that path. Yes. Now, of course, the croc, and we should, I guess, specify this: Nile crocs are not endemic to Madagascar. No, Those crocs are can all drink salt Africa. water. Yep, they just so float across. <laughs> So I, islands are no problem for them. Now, our friend Allie would be upset with us if I did not also mention that Madagascar is home to a ridiculous amount of plants. Weird plants there because they're not found other places. I believe it was on the WWF site. That's the World Wildlife Foundation, not the wrestling people. <laughs> I, I, I thought the same said, thing the first time you said that, it. There are over 11,000 endemic plants, including... Jeez. At least five families of plants that are found only there. And that makes sense because an animal could fly or swim across the the sea that separates. Plants don't have a lot. There are ones who can do it, but 
once you're on a piece of dirt as a plant, that's where you're going to be. That's where you are. Well, and with all those different environments, those that's mm-hmm. incredible opportunity for plants. Multiple different kinds of forests, all different grasslands, what lots of elevations. It's what they do. Because they can't. That they is can't how the plant do. Trans, you know, traverse from the desert to the dry forest. So it, if I'm in the, de- I'm growing in the desert. Yeah. And that's cool. Lots of orchids, lots of palms. There is a, a famous type of tree there called the traveler's palm, which is not a palm. Sometimes it's just <laughs> called the traveler's tree. There's a lot of things in Madagascar that are named things that they're not. Well, it's it's very much like we were saying with marsupials. It is you. You're the Madagascar's thing I know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you're the you're like if a palm was on. Well, there are palms on Madagascar. You're like if there was a civet on Madagascar. If I were to make a friend in Madagascar, I go, "Hi, Madagascar, David." Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's how it works. Madagascar is also. We mentioned this last episode that that famous story of how Darwin saw a plant, and because of the depth beneath mm-hmm, the petals mm-hmm. of where the nectar was stored. He guessed that there must be a an insect with a super long proboscis. Those are from Madagascar. Yeah. That's Darwin's orchid and Morgan's sphinx moth is the moth with the crazy long proboscis that reaches inside the orchid. Cool name. And finally, we should mention while talking about the diversity of Madagascar, it is more recently home to another group of primates. There are 21 million humans that live on Madagascar the Malagasy people, uh, who themselves are split into a whole bunch of different ethnic groups. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So hu- humans on Madagascar are actually rather diverse and abundant as well. Yeah, because it's, it's you know, not every human that is there is is a person who has colonized it in recent history. There's going to be people who are there long ago. Indeed. And that's cool. Speaking of which, let us... Now, rewind the clock and go back to the early days of Madagascar. We need to do the the effect that the documentaries all do where everything starts, you know, slowly breaking down. We watch the buildings be debuilt and... Yes, imagine the, the clouds, the sun goes the opposite direction really, really fast. Let's take a look at the geologic history of Madagascar, starting way at the beginning. The geology of Madagascar is full of super ancient metamorphic rocks from the Archean and the Proterozoic. Go back to our geologic history, but we digress after episode 13. The foundation of Madagascar is way, 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 way back in time. So this isn't an island like Hawaii, like the big island of Hawaii that was formed several million years ago. Madagascar is a landmass that has been around for a very, very... Since the earliest days of continental mass on the planet earth yes and it's a big part of what makes it stable it's not going to just erode away because it's been rock for a very long time yes for pretty much the entire paleozoic era that is from 500 plus million years ago down to the 250 mark madagascar was part of gondwana So Gondwana was, and we've talked about this when we talked about continents in the past, Gondwana was the southern supercontinent. So the landmasses that today are Africa, South America, Antarctica, Australia, were all part of one basically large supercontinent in the south, which we call Gondwana. 
Once you got toward the end of the Paleozoic, Gondwana combined with the northern continents to become Pangaea. 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 So Madagascar has not been separate for all this time. It was part of another larger continent. The fossil record on Madagascar before the end of the Paleozoic is not great. In fact, the fossil record on Madagascar for most of Madagascar's history is not super rich. There are a few places throughout the history of Madagascar where you get really good fossil remains. And one of those times is the Permian and Triassic. So spanning across 250 million years ago, there are some deposits with some really cool Permian and Triassic fossils, including early synapsids, that is the mammal line. So things like rhynchosaurs, early dinosauromorphs, like a creature called a Zendosaurus. You also have a lot of early reptiles, uh, early ancestors of marine reptiles. Also, uh, an extinct reptile called Coelurosauravis, which is one of a, a short list of gliding reptiles yeah. from this time period, which is, is found really on Madagascar. Cool. It was originally identified as a different genus, but it has since, I believe, been combined with Coelurosauravis. And you have Temnospondyls, which are the big terrestrial, you know, big partially terrestrial amphibians. You've got lots of fish. You've got lots of plants. So Madagascar actually offers us this nice glimpse into the Permo-Triassic time frame. And it's at a time where the creatures we saw and the plants we saw in Madagascar were fairly similar to what we find at that time in other parts of Gondwana. Because they uh-huh. were all one one landmass at the time. This is a time before Madagascar became unusual. Before it was Madagascar. Yes, this is this is the origin story. <laughs> Once Madagascar was just like everybody else. And nobody cared until I left the continent. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, shortly after the Triassic, as we move into the Jurassic, Pangaea begins to break up. So around the late Jurassic into the early Cretaceous, so 160 million years ago and moving over the next, you know, tens of millions of years, Gondwana begins to break and it begins with Madagascar, India, and Antarctica, because India used to be down there too, splitting away from Africa and South America. By around 115 million years ago, Antarctica splits off. And this leaves Madagascar attached to India. And this surprised me because I did not realize that. I always kind of assumed Madagascar was part of Africa that broke off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, and it was, but not most recently. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Madagascar was attached to India for a long stretch of time before finally splitting again. So they both broke off and then India left it behind. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they started moving north and India shot off north toward Asia, and Madagascar floated over. Madagascar was the the fuel tank that the old Apollo rockets. <laughs> yes, India dropped the fuel tank and shot off. <sighs> and fell into the, the atmosphere. In the rock record in Madagascar, we see around 88 million years ago, so getting toward the end of the Cretaceous, flood basalts. Hmm. Now, basalts are a type of igneous rock, 
and flood basalts are what you get when you have a period of very extensive lava. So we cool. talked about these in episodes 5 and 15, talking about extinction-level volcanic activity, where you get these vast plains of lava that harden into basalts. The flood basalts in late Cretaceous Madagascar are thought to be from the rifting that separated India from Madagascar. That makes sense. So around 88 million years ago, Madagascar splits off from India. Later on, it would re-suture to the African plate, but not on the continent of Africa. So it Ooh. remains about 400 kilometers away from Africa across the ocean. Yeah, so basically that means that now Africa and Madagascar will move together, mm -hmm. but not toward or away from one another. Yeah, they're not connected anymore. Yeah. So Madagascar, starting 88 million years ago, Madagascar has been on its own, which means for all of the Cenozoic <laughs> and a good chunk of the Cretaceous as well. For a while, it was thought that there may have been lingering connections, what, what the old school geologists would call land bridges, between Madagascar and these other continents, but more recent research suggests that is not the case, that it has been off on its own for this long. Yeah, it seems like it would be a long stretch to to connect. So that that would that would have been very interesting if had there been land yes, bridges. Yes, it would. Not much is known about Madagascar or, for that case, India for most <laughs> of the Cretaceous. <clears throat> so most of the development of Madagascar in that time period, shortly before it splits, and shortly, so much of what happened on Madagascar in that time period, shortly before it split away, and then shortly afterwards isn't understood very well. In 2013, the earliest dinosaur fossil, Cretaceous dinosaur fossil, was found on Madagascar. An abelisauroid, a carnivore, named Dahalokeli tokana, which was a carnivore about 10 to 12 feet long, comes from 90 million years ago, so just before the split. This is our one little glimpse right before Madagascar split away. This dinosaur is known from seven vertebrae and a few ribs, so not a whole lot, just a little glimpse. I, w I would love someday for paleoartists to just draw the section of the body that was, and just be <laughs> a rack of ribs laying on the ground. Just Talk like, about just, speculative evolution. Just a hunk of this dinosaur on the ground. So this is the first dinosaur known from the time period where you had Indo-Madagascar by itself. This is our, our little glimpse into the dinosaur fauna of that time. But then after that, Madagascar splits. And it is after that time in the latest Cretaceous that Madagascar becomes home to an excellently preserved fauna in the northwestern part of the island in a formation called the Mavarano Formation. And here we're going to slow down our trip through time for a moment and zoom in on this, the coolest of fossil places in Madagascar. Just zoom right in there. In northwestern Madagascar, in the semi-arid grasslands of the Mahajanga Basin, there is a site where researchers find layer upon layer of wonderfully preserved 
late Cretaceous fossils. This is a site that has been excavated for a very long time by groups of researchers from Stony Brook University, which is back up in my old stomping grounds on Long Island. The site dates to the Maastrichtian, which is about 70 million years ago in this case, shortly before the KPG mass extinction. We're like right before the end of the age of dinosaurs and about 20 million years above those flood basalts. So Madagascar has been separated from all the other landmasses by this time for about 20 million years. And the researchers find a whole bunch of really interesting fossils here, many of which seem to be closely related to fossil relatives in India and South America. Very cool. There are many fossiliferous layers here that suggest a semi-arid environment. So you've got a lot of oxidized paleosols. You've got a lot of calcium carbonate-rich soil, which are things you tend to see in dry climates. You also see a lot of plants with vertical roots in the soils, which is something that you see in arid living plants. Mm -hmm. Reaching down instead of out. Yeah, reaching down to find more moisture, exactly. And there's evidence in these layers of a seasonal climate and varying water flow, which will be important in a little bit. (laughs) Remember remember this. This will be on the quiz. (laughs) But let's talk about what they actually find here. There is a whole ecosystem of really fascinating creatures that are found here. And once again, just like we talked about today, now that Madagascar has split, we have endemism. We have species that are found here and nowhere else. Let's start with the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs. Perhaps the most famous dinosaur from the latest Cretaceous of Madagascar. Perhaps the most famous dinosaur from the latest Cretaceous in the northwestern Madagascar is an abelisaurid. So abelisaurs, think Carnotaurus. That's an abelisaur, sort of these short faces, uh, short arms. A large one named Majungasaurus, which was named in 1996. Majungasaurus. It's a fun one. They're about 20 feet long, six or seven meters Similar, you know, a lot of abelisaurs are known from South America. Majungasaurus is interesting because it has this really ornamented skull. Thick with rough textures. It's got a single nose horn. Apparently, when it was first found, the bits of the skull were mistaken for a pachycephalosaur. Oh, that's cool. Because it's got this really, all this rugosity up in the skull. That's neat. We have found many skeletons of varying ages, which is really cool because it's allowed people like my friend, Dr. Mike Demick, to study how this dinosaur grew over its lifespan. Mm -hmm. It was apparently a strangely slow-growing theropod. That's pretty cool. Interesting. And, very excitingly, because Majungasaurus was the only big predator around, we have tooth marks on other bones that have been assigned to Majungasaurus. Tooth marks on the phones of the local sauropod, which we'll talk about in a moment. Cool. And tooth marks on other Majungasaurus bones. Whoa! Which makes this one of the very short list of dinosaurs with direct evidence of cannibalism. That's cool. This was a this was a Madagascar predatory unicorn, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's you heard it here, folks. From the Common Sense Podcast. Majungasaurus. The Malagasy predatory unicorn. It's so, I just, 
it's so much fun. I like weird predators. <laughs> That's why I like the, the Ceratosaurus and Carnotaurus. They're weird and they're cool. Well, if you like weird predators, the smaller theropod on Madagascar that's known pretty well is Masiacosaurus, which is about six feet long. This is a a smaller dinosaur, but it's the one where the jaws, the dentition curves. So the, the lower jaw curves down and the upper jaw curves up. So the teeth in the front kind of point forward. Yeah. So what exactly it's doing with that? Probably catching some sort of prey. I've seen people suggest it might have been a fish hunter. Yeah, I've, with I've its heard sort of that spiky before. teeth sticking out. Uh, there's also a yet smaller theropod known from Madagascar called Rahonavis, which for a while has bounced around. You know, where does this fit in relation to birds? But it would have looked a lot like Archaeopteryx. Small, cool. covered in feathers, wing-like arms. Uh, exactly where it fits. Uh, I've seen it listed as a dromaeosaur and other times as simply an early member of that near bird group. It too has rel- seems to be related to similar dinosaurs that are found in South America. Neat. I like I like when you like we talked about with the when we went through the gray fossil site uh and when you keep finding connections to another locality just mm-hmm. just here and I always think that's really that's really enjoyable to just keep having those pop up which is like every now and then South America just pokes its head in and it's cool. Yeah. And in this case it was probably cuz they evolved from similar not too distant mm-hmm. ancestors. There are also bird remains on Madagascar at this time. There's a bird called Vorona. And the last of the dinosaurs we'll mention, My Vorona. My Vorona is a sauropod, a titanosaur. Also, very famously, many known from South America, named Repetosaurus. Repetosaurus is estimated to have been about 15 meters long, which it is a sauropod. Yep. For a titanosaur, that's not ridiculous. Mm-mm. It is a rare case of a nearly complete known skeleton for a titanosaur. Oh. And Repetosaurus was studied back in 2016 by a bunch of people, including my buddy Dr. Demick, of a baby specimen which was only like 35 centimeters tall at the hip, like brand new, and they studied how it grew. It appeared to to grow rapidly and was probably precocial, which is to say did not stick around with its parents. Cool. These are these are giant long-necked turtles. Yeah, they just went wandering <laughs> off like sea turtles. Cool. They also found that it likely died of starvation. Oh. Remember that for later. <laughs> in addition to the dinosaurs, late Cretaceous Madagascar up in the Mevorano Formation is also home to a bunch of crocs. Eee. Notably, for example, Simosuchus, yeah, which is the pug-nosed croc. Yeah, Simosuchus is super bizarre. Mm-hmm. So this is a croc that has a you know sort of short pug-shaped face. It's only about two and a half feet long terrestrial yeah. crocodilomorph small creature living on land has leaf-shaped teeth yeah probably for eating veggies yeah this this is one of those those weird ones that if you were to glance at it does not look like a croc but if you were also to glance at the reconstructions it's the cutest darn thing it's adorable we'll put links <sighs> up in the blog post i want one it's also covered in armor 
It's it's got like these awesome samurai <laughs> looking plates all down the on its, uh, its legs. Yeah, it's so cool. It's a cool. It's this this little armored beastie. It's just wandering perf- around. It's like a dog sized. It, yep. it fit right in my house. My apartment <laughs> even allows has pets. A, even has a pug face. <laughs> I just feed it salads. It'd be the best. <laughs> it's like a little Edasaur. Yeah. They're very much like that. <sighs> I want it. There's another croc called Mahajangasuchus, uh, which mm-hmm. is more like three meters long. So we're And I've seen it reconstructed more like a modern croc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there are some other crocodiliforms known from this time at this place. Cool place. There are also snakes known from the Mavorano formation, notably Madsoya madagascarensis. So in the snake episode, episode three, we talked mm-hmm. about the Madsoids, which were large sort of boa-like forms. The Madagascar Madsoya is estimated to have been nearly eight meters long. Oh my god. Which, for you American listeners... 25 to 30 feet yeah which puts it in like the top four or five largest known snakes of all time which is pretty awesome what doesn't madagascar have (laughs) oh it's it's got everything it's It's, got a croc for you it's got a snake for me it's the best there's a bunch of fossil lizards known there's also one aquatic snake known Kelliophus, which is a nigerophiid about a meter long and speaking of herps, I have to. So before I introduce this next creature, I have to tell you all about frogs. <laughs> so if you if you know amphibians, there is a genus of frogs today called bufo. 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 Which sounds like a thing a frog would say. Yep. Bufo. I think it's Latin for toad or something yeah, it near, is. nearby that. So there's a bunch of frogs today called bufo. There's a family called the bufonids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a long time, a lot of toad-like frogs were labeled as bufo. I think a lot of them have been recently sort of re- reclassified. Yeah. But bufo is sort of synonymous with toad. Okay, there's the background. <laughs> for a long time, researchers studying fossils in the Mavorano Formation found evidence of a giant frog. Now, when I say giant frog, I, I, this frog is estimated to have been about 10 pounds, <laughs> which is a frog the size of my cat. Yes, yes. It'd be heavier than carrying a gallon of milk. Yes, <laughs> yes. It had an armored skull, big old jaws. They nicknamed it for a long time the Devil Toad. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that nickname pop then, up. Then, when it came time to officially name the frog, in 2008, Evans et al., I believe, gave it possibly my favorite genus name of all time. <laughs> this frog is called Beelzebufo. Beelzebufo. I love it so much. It's, the, <laughs> it's such a great name. Beelzebufo is the largest known frog in the fossil record. Its jaws were six inches across. There was a study that, <laughs> that tested its bite force and found that it had a sufficiently impressive bite force. It's just, I love that Madagascar is famous for things in the fossil record that it is also all famous for things today. Yeah. It's like, like, no, no, we've been good at this for a while. (laughs) We know how to do, we know how to do our frogs. I love the image and I can't get it out of my head of this frog just leaping, launching itself at something with its bony head, just head butting something down and then just devouring it. 
Just baby dinosaurs. Yes, just just baby launching across. <laughs> like the, the human cannonball just knocking into stuff. <laughs> awesome. So you've got big theropods, big sauropods, lots of crocs, snakes, giant frog, probably way more than that in, in, in microfossils. There's also a bunch of early mammals, including some members of the famous group, the multi-tuberculates. Hey! And a species named just a few years ago, Vintana, a genus of Gondwanatherian mammal that is the largest mammaliform from Mesozoic Gondwana. Now, for mammals in the Mesozoic, that's still, you know, it's not huge. But it was, yeah. you know, a chunky little mammal, probably eating seeds and roots and such. And what was really notable about it is that it has this unusual combination of features, some of which are very similar to other mammals across Gondwana. Others are very, very unusual, which the scientists attribute to being on Madagascar. <laughs> That's cool. You're on an island. You're developing weird stuff. There's a lot of creatures here that you just don't see elsewhere. Well, it's, it's neat that we're... Because a lot of islands don't have great fossil records, so you're finding the end result of you know island effects. But here we can actually get to see a little bit of the beginnings and the yes. early... And that's so cool! So it was an island in the late cretaceous when you had island dinosaurs on there it's an island now the other thing i just want to mention this because i think this is really fun there are also from this time period uh there's fish fossils including coelacanth fossils <gasps> which makes madagascar one of the very few places you can find fossil and living coelacanths oh that's so cool <laughs> and i just think that's a really cool claim to fame Man, all right. So when we when we establish a central headquarters, we're establishing it in Madagascar, right? Well, like, <laughs> wait till we get to the end of the episode. All right, all right. Because <laughs> you're you're making a hard sell it's a right cool now. Place. <laughs> now, one of the big questions that these researchers had looking at the Maverano Formation was why do you have these repeated layers of super rich, beautifully preserved? Full ecosystem, you know, from dinosaurs to snakes, from crocs to, to mammals, fossil beds. And what they suspect was happening, because like I said, there was a seasonal climate, mm -hmm. varying water flow. What it looks like was happening was that you were getting mass death during droughts. Yeah. That it would get very dry and all these animals would congregate around the limited water supply. They would die... And again, remember, our baby Repetosaurus died of starvation. Mm -hmm. We have cannibalism. These are potential signs of a harsh living environment. Yeah. And then when the rains would return, all the mud, that mud flow would flow down into this basin and bury all of it. Yeah, just fossilize everything. So you'd get these repeated, well-preserved death assemblages in these mud flows. Uh, there's we see things like this in today uh, places like Australia today where mm -hmm. you have droughts and the, the creatures congregate around the the, the little waterholes. Once again, tragedy in the past makes good paleontology. It does. There's even possible evidence that's been reported of algal spores that might mm. suggest algal blooms. That's research done in part by Mike Zavada. 
Cool. Who was at ETSU and at the gray site for a while. Cool. I was a little surprised to see that name pop up. <laughs> Mike? Uh, Mike, uh, my buddy Mike. I, I don't think I actually ever met Mike. But his name is all around. So there you have it. Thomas, late Cretaceous Madagascar, a really unusual, thriving at times ecosystem <laughs> with just some phenomenal repeated preservation throughout periodically periodically, periodically thrive. thriving periodically a, a great place to live it's a good place to visit <laughs> and fossilize and, and uh, to stay forever it's, it's, you can you can check out anytime you like as i say you know forget going to florida when you want to retire if you want to really <laughs> stick around go to madagascar <laughs> i want to be in the the ground forever just just gonna lay down this dry riverbed <laughs> just this, this seems like a good place they'll find me like <laughs> oh that's so cool it's got so many neat weird things from that time and it's really i really love being able to see earlier on in the effects of being an island to compare to the now effects of being an island yes yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It is. But alas, all as as with all good things in the Mesozoic, they came to an end. Because Madagascar was not spared in the KPG mass extinction. For more on that, episode five. However, after the Cretaceous, the fossil record of Madagascar mostly drops out almost for the rest of history. Yeah. So for most of the last 65 million years, we have very, we've scattered fossils throughout. There is a, a notably there's an fossils from the Eocene representing a sea cow named oh, e- cool. Eotheroides, which is kind of cool. Yeah. There are other sea cow remains, I believe, later on in the Neogene. In the Miocene, there are remains, oceanic remains largely, of things like sharks and rays and crocs. There's a there was a dolphin tooth found not too long ago. Uh, there's remains of bats and rodents here and there. So we've kind of got this scattered every Sparse. now and then, yeah. But we don't have a great picture of of a lot of what was going on on Madagascar throughout the Cenozoic. What were you up to, Madagascar? What were you, what you doing you, there? What are you hiding? What what has been happening? Which raises these interesting questions of how did our modern fauna get there? Mm-hmm. So like we said, Madagascar has been split from Africa this entire time since the late Cretaceous. Split from Africa and everybody else. No good known connections in that time, which raises the question of vicariance or dispersal. Yes. There are some groups of animals that are on Madagascar today that are thought to have had ancestors there all the way back to when it was part of Gondwana. So certain lineages of frogs, lizards, maybe even snakes might indeed just be holdovers from they they they've ridden the the landmass the whole time. True Madagascar natives. Yes, like you know, it's like people in in, in the United States, like oh, we've been here since yeah, mm-hmm. we rode over on the Mayflower. But these some of these animals rode on Madagascar. Yes. <laughs> We were living on Madagascar before it was an island. Yes, yeah, 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 before it was before it was tropical. The other option is dispersal, which is to say you came over the ocean. 
and most creatures come over the ocean by rafting one way or another. So, and we talked about this in episode four, Island Evolution. There's a lot of yeah. ways to follow the currents to make your way from landmass to landmass. And this question of how did the animals, how did the animals that are on an island get there, is something you have to ask with every island. Is yes, you know, did you get brought here? Did you fly here? Did you swim here? Why, why are you here? And this is just a bigger example of that. Yep. Bats and birds are easy to explain. Yep. Things like crocs can be a little easier because mm-hmm. many of them can cross oceans. But mammals, a lot, you know, sort of terrestrial mammals, terrestrial reptiles are thought to have rafted over at different times. And there are even some estimates based in part on molecular data combined with what little we have from fossils. Molecular meaning genetic data. At least one study reported an estimate that lemurs have been on Madagascar since the very early Cenozoic. So, as you know, perhaps 60 or more million years ago, their All ancestors right. came over. Carnivorans have been estimated to have been much more recent, as recent as about 20 million years ago. During the Miocene, around that same time, is possibly when crocs showed up. Evidence that tortoises and bats also made it over by around that time. And then different groups of lizards, skinks, geckos, our snakes, our birds, many are estimated to have arrived during the Miocene sometime, within the last 15 to 20 million years. Interesting. We also know that grasslands made it to Madagascar, uh, late Miocene or later. If you'll recall from episode 38, grasslands kind of did this thing where they took over the world. (laughs) madagascar were not spared but then around that time around that at the end of that time that 20 to 15 million year period where a lot of these creatures seem to be making it over there's evidence that the oceanic currents changed oh such that after that time period it was harder to travel from africa to madagascar Oh, cool. And it's been suspected that there has been less oceanic dispersal within the last 10 to 15 million years or so because the currents are no longer good at traveling, at carrying creatures across that way. That's fascinating. Oh, that that's really interesting. Yeah. So over the course of the Cenozoic at various times, Madagascar has been seeded, sometimes literally, mm-hmm. with what would become to be the modern ecosystems. And then when when the transit was shut down, it was left to its own devices. Yes, so there has been fewer, most likely, dispersal events into Madagascar. So these, a limited group made it, then slowed down dispersal, and that has what cre- that is what has created modern fauna in Madagascar, the modern fauna and flora. Very neat. And then the fossil record picks up again. The third time period that is very (laughs) well known in Madagascar is the latest Pleistocene to the Holocene. Good data goes back about as far as 26,000 years. So practically yesterday, geologically, but long enough ago for us to get some really cool late Pleistocene creatures, including some Madagascar megafauna. Oh, I'm excited. Many of these taxa, these species, 
are extinct but lasted until the last few thousand or even few hundred years. Whoa. And most of them, in fact, all the ones that I'm going to list, probably overlapped with humans. Cool. The most famous of these uh, among mammal enthusiasts, so this one's for Ethan, <laughs> are the giant lemurs. Yeah. A group of lemurs also sometimes called sloth lemurs. Yeah. There are it's at a, least... It's a cute name. <laughs> yep. There are at least 17 known species of large lemur from Madagascar, some of which lasted within to the last few centuries. Mm-hmm. One of the best known is called Paleopropithecus. There are many, many specimens. It was big, as in 100 pounds or more. Nice. For a lemur. Yeah. And what's really interesting about these lemurs is that they have these extremely curved limb bones that seem to suggest an, a, a very suspensory lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is to say, instead of, you know, you'll see like some monkeys walking on the, the branches and you see apes swinging from branches. Suspensory means you spend a lot of time hanging from branches like sloths do. Yes, yes. Which is yeah. why they're called sloth lemurs. Yeah, that's really cool. It's neat that you see similar features in the bones to show that that lifestyle. Yeah, so yeah, so Madagascar didn't only fill in its primates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it came up with its own version of sloths. That's real and big ones. Now, whether or not these were slow moving like sloths, or like modern day lemurs in Madagascar liked to move it, <laughs> we don't know. I I knew it was going to make it in at some point. <laughs> in fact, we, we don't know so much that I only brought that up so I could make that joke. Uh, one of the largest, in fact, the largest of the of the giant Madagascar lemurs was Archaeo Indris, which was gorilla-sized. Yeah, I knew they had a couple of, you know, not gorilla mimics, but co- convergent with large primates. Yep. Also suspensory. So this was like a 400-pound animal hanging from branches and moving perhaps a lot like a sloth. I mean, it, it makes me think of uh, orangutans. They're not, they're not quite the suspensory the same way as sloths, but they are, they're very arboreal. They hang yep, instead yep. of walking on branches a lot of the time. Interesting. That's very cool. Uh, there was also a giant eye-eye. Ooh. <laughs> which, yeah. Perhaps twice the size of a modern eye-eye. Oh and a goodness. modern eye-eye can be a whopping five or six pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this was a ten pound. So this was an eye-eye about the size of Beelzebufo. Yep. If yep. you can imagine. <laughs> Which they would ride into battle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Holding, holding their grooming claw high. <laughs> Jousting with their long <laughs> fingers. This, the picture of this just... This, cat-sized thing that looks like an eye just peeking around at you. It's just like, <laughs> listen, artists who listen to the podcast, please do please. us this service. Please, please. So there are a bunch of large lemurs. Madagascar was also home to another endemic group of giants, the elephant birds. Oh, yeah. So we, we talked in the episode 37 and a half about mm-hmm. one particular group of giant birds, the terror birds. But huge flightless birds have evolved numerous times. And there was a group of ratites on Madagascar. Ratites includes most of the flightless birds today. 
like ostriches and emus and such, the elephant birds were among the largest birds ever. Yeah, they were huge. Apiornis was perhaps as much as three meters tall and over 800 pounds. That's a half-ton bird. <laughs> yeah, that's heavy for an animal, period, let alone a bird. Yes. That's a huge bird. It's massive. They laid eggs that could be a meter wide. <laughs> that's a three-foot-long egg, which I think are also the largest eggs in history yeah. as well, or, or close to it. Jeez. And in our Islands episode, we talked about the phenomenon of island gigantism. Mm-hmm. That some you know animals can grow to giant sizes in the lack of predatory pressures. Yeah, this could be one of those. Well, if you don't have grazing ungulates, you know, cows and bison and antelopes, yes, someone's got to walk around and be big and eat plants. Yeah, someone's got to be the local elephant. Yep, <laughs> might as well be the birds. Let's discuss the elephant in the room. There are no elephants in the room. We should do that. <laughs> ah! Will, that was very clever. That was a very, very good joke. <laughs> I Wordplay is normally my realm. Yep. I'm impressed. Well done, sir. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. There was also at least one smaller elephant bird. There's one called Mullerornis. There was also an extinct genus of croc. <gasps> I like those. There was a, crocod- a crocodile, a true crocodile, Ooh, cool. named Voe Robustus. I like it. Which was similar in size to a Nile crocodile. Four what? to five meters, but beefy. This was a robust genus and species of crocodile. They had these little horns on the back of the skull, the squamosal yes. horns. I knew I recognized the name, but I, the, I now that, yes, the horned croc. I, yep. Yeah, this was a very, very cool one. I like that it's had weird crocs since the Cretaceous. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing Madagascar has always had. It's just, it's just like if someone went back there and they looked over and they see this giant eye eye looking at them. I, I'm making eye eye impressions, so I'm sure it's messing with my voice as I turn away, from, but I'm oh, turning my great. head slowly. <laughs> yep. As if I have giant eyes unmoving eyes. <laughs> and then a you look horned over that, croc. A, a giant <laughs> armored faced toad jumps by, <laughs> and then a croc goes by with horns. You're like, yeah, I'm going home. To, to be clear, everybody, Beelzebufo and the giant eye eye missed each other by 70 million years. Yeah, I know. But that's, that's less fun. Uh, there was a study recently that. Asked the question whether or not the Nile croc and Voe coexisted and concluded that they probably didn't, that the Niles probably moved in after Voe disappeared. Which makes sense. It would be weird to have two large crocs, like yep. two equally sized. You don't see that many places where crocodilian species overlap. You know, In South America, the caimans are either eat different things or are different sizes because... If we're both the same size, we're going to be eating the same thing if we're shaped the same way. So we need to fight each other. Yeah. Which means that the the title of largest predator on Madagascar shifted between Voe and now today the Nile croc has moved in. Cool. Some other quick examples of late Pleistocene into early Holocene Madagascarian creatures. There was a giant fossa. Ha <laughs> ha. As much as 40 pounds or pushing 20 kilograms decent that's big that's pretty big small predator 
There are also a few different species of Malagasy pygmy hippos. So we're talking hippos that are maybe six feet long. That's awesome. Yeah, which might have been island dwarfs. Yes, yes. Possibly. We talked about that. The other thing you can get is dwarfs versions mm-hmm. of large creatures on islands. Also, as with some of the others, the, the last of the pygmy hippos may have been around as recently as a thousand years ago. The Very last of the rat, the last of the elephant birds, by the way, were around 1500 AD. Yeah. 500 years ago, we had elephant birds still on Madagascar. Very recent. There was a, there's an extinct Malagasy aardvark, <laughs> which, uh, as we said in the beginning, not an aardvark, it was a tenrec, but cool. <laughs> extinct island tortoises. So just like you get in the Galapagos and things like that, big mm-hmm, island tortoises. Mm-hmm. There was a big eagle. There are a number of other extinct species of birds. There was this sort of thriving, as with so many places in the world, late Pleistocene into the Holocene ecosystem in Madagascar. Where that, everything was awesome and crazy. But it, because it was Madagascar, it was even more awesome and crazy. Yeah. Like everyone else had elephants and ground sloths. Madagascar had suspensory lemurs and elephant birds. Everyone's doing pachyderms these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's, let's do something different. <laughs> and then around bah, bah, bah. 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago, is the, when the, we get the very earliest evidence of humans showing up Ooh. in Madagascar. Now... It used to be that we had evidence of humans younger than that, was the oldest evidence, and there were a lot of studies that linked the disappearance of a lot of those creatures to the arrival of humans. But the old, that really old evidence from, from 4,000 years ago of a group of stone tool-making foragers sort of reset that. It pushed the earliest humans on Madagascar back a bit which suggests that the extinctions may have not have been an immediate response to human occupation. Interesting. The, the debate swings yet again. Yes, it does. For more on that, <laughs> go listen to episode 25 about the late Pleistocene megafaunal extinction. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, ongoing theme. So over the last few hundred to few thousand years, we lost a lot of those cool late Pleistocene Madagascar creatures. The large lemurs, the elephant birds, the horned crocs. We saw the expansion of humans. And with the expansion of humans, the sort of thing you can't talk about an episode of Madagascar without mentioning, the fact that this island, this beautiful island, center of biodiversity, wonderful hotspot of all sorts of cool creatures, is suffering extensive environmental problems. Yes, it is. Like, all the stuff you get elsewhere without the big dispersal factor of a continent, where you can kind of spread out the effects. As we discussed in episode 4, as we discussed in episode 25, islands get hit hard when mass extinctions hit. Islands get hit hard when ecosystems are suffering. Madagascar has a lot of issues with deforestation. And here's a sad full circle. A lot of trouble with wildlife trade because they have so many cool creatures. Yep. There's a lot of illegal export and import and even legal export and import that puts these ecosystems at risk. 
Yeah, it's something that places like Australia also have to regulate because the illegal pet trade is yep. is very hungry for animals that you can't get easily because it's a it's a uh, jewel in your collection if you have something that no one else has. Yes, and indeed. It, it is bad for those species. It is. So Madagascar, as we've seen, is an island of wonders today. Endangered wonders, but hey, maybe we can help. Mm-hmm. And has been for more than 80 million years. And even before that, holds some really cool secrets. And that's where we will end our Madagascar discussion for this episode. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this tour through time. This Malagasy tour through time. Uh, it has been a lot of fun. Big thanks again to uh, Thomas for this suggestion. Yes. That was a really this, fun th- this uh, was topic a cool to get to explore. One. Yeah, it was. This was Madagascar is one of those places, very much like the Galapagos, that are just so they're just so unique that you can't help but be intrigued once you start taking a closer look at just all the weird stuff that's gone on there. Now, both also have the same factor of they are in great danger, so they need as much protection as possible. But yes, it's there's a lot of stuff there that we don't want to lose, and it's just. It, it's awesome, and it's sad. It is. But we've been happy to be able to do this tour through a fascinating part mm-hmm. of the world. Uh, and I learned a ton. This was one of those, I love these episodes where I get to yes. do research and go, "What? there's no vipers on Madagascar? That's mm-hmm. cool. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. I, the, it's usually when we do episodes, there's a bit of a, you know, there's there's things that will come up where I'm like, oh, cool. I mean, that, uh, that's neat. But usually it's it's pretty, we're pretty even. Every now and then we'll do episodes where the other one is like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, this was a fun one where I was like, I, Will's going to be super excited yep. to hear all this stuff. Yep. I'm excited and to tell him about it. There was lots of moments where I was like, <laughs> no way. You're, you're joshing me. So big thanks again to Thomas. Thank you to all of our listeners. As always, there will be a blog post that has mm-hmm. extra links, and we'll throw up some fun pictures of some of these creatures we've talked about with links to other places where you can find more information about them. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to hear more about this or other localities or any other topic, as always, we are always taking requests. That's all we do nowadays is talk about things that have been requested, which is awesome. A long list, and it's amazing. And our listeners are the best. <laughs> send us requests, send us feedback, send us comments and questions and such on all our various social media things. Listen to the outro for that. Hey, join us on Patreon if you'd like to. We're doing polls now where we'll let you help us decide what we do in the future. To to sculpt the future of the podcast. Yes. Find us on the social medias. Follow us, like us, subscribe us, comment, leave reviews on iTunes. Do all the stuff that helps other people find us even better. We release new episodes every fortnight, so episode 41 will be coming up in two weeks. So look out for it. So keep an eye out. And I think that's it. I think that's the whole yeah. episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Thank you. Again. Enjoy Madagascar even more now. Yes. <laughs> and we will see you next time for more stuff. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. 
Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.